Luck on Sunday, proudly sponsored by our Bastiat Cruel Dubai. Hello, hope you're enjoying a good weekend. Hope you enjoyed the wonderful weather yesterday. We enjoyed some fantastic sport at Newbury and at York. And it was a classic weekend in Ireland. Reflections on all of that, plus this week's talking points coming up through the next 90 minutes. I'll be introducing my special guest shortly, but here's what's coming up. Well, he shoots, he scores. It's that man, Ger Lyons, and his great accomplice, Colin Keane, to the forefront again. The first horse he's been sent by the Coolmore partners, and he only goes and wins the Irish Oaks. Ger will be along very shortly. Very fetching Panama, that, as well. It was a good night at the Curragh as well for Ken Condon, with a pattern race double headlined by his great old favourite, Roman Eyes. What a tough little horse this is. More success for him, and then the trainer followed up with a 66-1 winner of the two-year-old Group 2. More York glory for a denizen of the White Rose County. William Haggis loves his trips to the Namesmire, and he took the John Smith's Cup home again. Sinjari the winner this time, but that wasn't all he had to shout about. We'll be talking to him a little later on. And well worth checking in with Jessica Harrington. It might not have gone her way in the Irish Oaks, but Kay and Pepper ran a fine race in second. And look at this clutch of three-year-old fillies she has. Alpine star Albinia, Millisle, One Voice, Valeria, Messalina. They could all yet win more group races this season. And Jessica will be along a little while later. And it was a week when the difficulties of the sport were really brought into sharp focus by the announcement from Ed Vaughan that he was to hand in his trainer's licence in the UK at any rate. Ed will be with us just before 11 o'clock. And we're cautiously optimistic that crowds of some sort will return to racecourses. Goodwood get the first trial day, that's the Saturday of the glorious meeting the Qatar Goodwood Festival in just less than two weeks' time when there will be around 5,000 people, most of them annual members, so they're easy to track and trace. I am extremely grateful that at the end of what has been quite a frenetic news week for the sport, one of our leading journalists, Chris Cook from The Guardian, is with me. I had no problem tracking and tracing you, and I was extremely pleased that you could be here because it's been, a, it's been an interesting and lively week, Chris, even though it's been a, a lower key week on the, on the racing front. Yeah, it's that time of summer, isn't it, when you've had a, a, a slew of big races, really, in this compressed season. Um, and, yeah, news journalists like myself very grateful when there's lots of different subjects that get people agitated. I mean, you know, enormous amounts for the sport to worry about um, in these very difficult times, of course. Um, but, yeah, also some uh, interesting unexpected stories like uh, discussions of the interference rules coming up this week and getting people hot under the collar. Yeah, we'll be discussing all those in our talking points section a little bit later on in the programme. But just, just taking an overview of the sport as a whole now, we're seven weeks on. Yeah. Since, since the resumption. How do you feel about the game? Do you feel positive? 
or do you feel <sighs> what, do you feel deeply apprehensive? Um, I, I do feel apprehensive. So much hangs on how the next couple of months go. Uh, I mean, I think it's it's clear to everybody that you know we are going to run out of money if things continue as they are. Uh, it's so important to to get crowds back on race courses. Um, this experiment with Goodwood, you know, it really has to go well, and and you know not just for horse racing. You know, we're, we're a sort of a trial, if you like. We're one of three trials for all of sport. Um, so yeah, I mean, and for the you know the wider public as a whole, we could we could do with a measure of normality returning with all possible speed, and try and get the sort of wheels turning in the economy again, and um, take us all forward to a kind of brighter future. We hope. I'm interested to know how horse racing sits in terms of the perception of it and how it's performed over the last few weeks in relation to in relation to other sports. And because you write for a, a news daily, I'm interested to know what the other people on the sports desk at The Guardian think of horse racing now, whether they think of horse racing as a pioneer, a, a front runner here, or wh- how they think of us. I mean, certainly right after resumption, we were getting plenty of space. Um, and they, yeah, they were very grateful to have some live action again. I, I don't know how many new converts we won in the sports desk, but they're all, you know, quite heart-bitten football people. Um, you know, my impression from, you know, the viewing figures and the turnover figures is that mm. um, we're doing well with the public at large. Uh, and so, you know, hopefully we're putting on a sport that's exciting enough to, to hang on to some of those people for the future. Um, when we get to, hopefully, back to some kind of more normal times. Um, yeah, now other sports are coming back. You're having to compete for space again. It gets more difficult. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I think it's, there was a lot of apprehension, wasn't there, right at the start that racing would be one of the first sports back and, and we were still getting that hangover from the Cheltenham Festival, um, which you know, to a terribly unfair extent became a kind of whipping boy for the sort of um, people who hated those crowds you know, towards the end of that week yeah. when, when it was felt that there should have been a lockdown in place by then. Um, but I think the sport has done well. Um, you know, the, the measures that have been taken... Um, at the race courses have gone well, people have behaved themselves. Uh, there's been really uh, no negative stories on that front that I can think of, um, which was absolutely necessary. So, yeah, I think you can definitely call this, this resumption a success, but we can't carry on like this indefinitely. You know, that's clear to everyone. Yes, and bit by bit, even crowdless, there is a little bit more atmosphere at the race course when you go with a few more owners there, a slightly bit of better weather and... You know, it just feels a little bit. Yeah, more normal, I mean, yesterday it? at Newbury, I mean, I guess that would be a quiet day in normal times. Um, I mean, yeah, no, I, even then I missed the crowd. That, that, that was only my third day back. I've had the Derby, I had the first day of the July meeting, and then yesterday. So you see that even sort of quite seasoned members of the press are having sort of trouble breaking their way through the gates. Um, uh, and yeah, I, I would really, I'm, I'm anxious now to, to be at a populated race course you know with yeah. with race course bookmakers it would be great to have them yes. back I, I talk to quite a few of them on a regular basis and they are they are going up the wall well with boredom but with also you know a lack of trade and and they're also terribly anxious that i think they feel forgotten about you I, know they I start to see you. people turning up at the track again um press men obviously trainers and jockeys and, and now owners um and they're worried that you know uh, things are just going to change such that they, they will not be seen as an essential part of the race to experience anymore. Um, it, it'll be great when Goodwood comes to get them back, but then there are difficulties with, with how they make that work. You know, they're being told they have to be cashless. Well, you know, 
that's a very new endeavour for race course bookies. Yes. You know, and it, and even that to some of them, they will see that's taking the fun out of it. You know, it's all about handing bundles of cash over, isn't it? I, I, it is. It is. I mentioned this last week and was very very careful to say that my children do not hand cash over to a bookmaker when they go to a race course, but they do enjoy seeing me hand cash over to a yes. bookmaker and enjoy it even more if I pick cash when you back get up. Get a bit more back. From the you give over coins and you get back the folding. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. I mean, how do you feel, though? How do you feel if you're a trainer who's had two classic winners and there's not really been anyone there with you to enjoy it? That's exactly what's happened to Jer Lyons. But first of all, let's congratulate him because he's won a- another classic, this time with, with Even So. It was Siskin first a few weeks ago, of course. Joe, this is all going rather well, isn't it? Yeah, it's fantastic. It's um dream come true and and I'm going to enjoy every minute of it Nick and the sort of surreal nature of the whole season has rather been enhanced by this image of you there as I said sporting that rather fetching Panama and so with your arms stretched out but no one to run into them much well I'm not even allowed to cuddle my daughter um are you getting me okay yeah I am I'm hearing you loud and clear yeah, um, I'm not even allowed to cuddle my daughter, which is a bit weird. The the, is, the isolation thing, the no crowds thing actually works for me, Nick. I wouldn't be the most sociable of people. And as for the Panama, I'm sporting a very um, dubious COVID haircut. And that's the sad reason I have to wear a hat. Well, I, 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 th- I salute you because it looks very smart and I think I probably should have been following your lead all this time. But let's talk about this terrific filly, uh, Even So, who showed a, a wonderful attitude yesterday. To what extent did she surpass your expectations? Uh, she, uh, she absolutely did. I mean, I'm not going to sit here and say to you I thought she'd win. I thought she deserved her place in the field and I was hoping she'd definitely run in the money and anything after that would be a bonus. Um, but you couldn't argue. I mean, sometimes we're all guilty of overanalyzing races. And the race that I watched yesterday, she hit the line strong. And oh. with, for me, anyway, she's the best horse in the field. And she's the one to take out of the race going forward. She's after stepping up every race. And physically, she looks fantastic. And um, I think the future's bright with her because there's a great program for these fillies. It's hardly as though she fell in. As you say, she hit the line hard and then you watched her gallop out and she's got her head bowed and she's just remorselessly ploughing on. It looks as though there's not really much bottom to her stamina. No, well, I mean, she's definitely going to enjoy the mile and a half and you would say in time you'd have no problem stepping up further if you needed to, but it's just fantastic to have her in the yard. She's been a, she's been a pleasure. She's been a blessing to have and... I did say in the spring, if we had, I, I thought we had a nice bunch of three-year-old fillies, and I said if we had a classic Oaks filly, it was this filly, and thankfully we were right. What sort of temperament does she have at home, Joe? What, what sort of filly is she to deal with? Look at Colin there with his hands in the air. That's what she's <laughs> like. You know, she's the female Siskin. Um, I was just saying I had a couple of other horses through the afternoon, sadly not yesterday, and they were antsy and standing on toes and giving us a little bit of grief. And this one walks in and stands there, gets tacked up, all of the paradering in the preliminaries. And that's just the difference between the good ones and the other ones. And it's not been lost on anyone that this is the first horse you've trained for, for the Coolmore ownership of this particular branch of the, the Coolmore ownership. Just tell us how it came about. Well, Paul Shanahan... Um, was, he's not, as you know he's very proactive at the sales and he, he was always they were all the team in general are always very polite here at the sales and Paul just said to me 
I have some nice fillies down here. Would you come down and have a look at them? And I said, yeah, of course I will. And time passed by and I just didn't go. It's very hard to get me out of Glen Burnie. And eventually he said, are you going to come down and look at this, these horses? And I said, look, Paul, I said, if you want to send me something, send me something. Uh, you're a better judge than I am. And whatever happens, happens. And it turned out that the one he sent me is this filly. When she walked into the yard, what did you think of her as a, as a physical specimen? Didn't, not a whole pile, I don't think. I, <laughs> I don't give them much credence when they walk into the yard. I, they come in and we break them and I start getting serious when I start thinking about them after the Christmas. But up to that, they're just horses. Um, I don't look at pedigrees. I don't look at anything. And then, you know, I let the horse tell me what they are and she just pleased me from the very beginning. I mean, did she show ability from the very beginning or was it just her attitude you liked? No, she was always a filly that we were never going to introduce till September, October of her two-year-old career, being by Camelot. So she was very much on the back finger up to that point. But when we did introduce her, we were aware that um, she could be smart. She was definitely a stakes filly. And I know when she won at Gore and I turned to Colin and I said, could we have an Oaks filly? Now, neither of us knew at the time what an Oaks filly looked like or smelt like. So... Um, the dream started then, I, I suppose. Do you fancy having a having a dart at, at love with her? Oh, absolutely not. Um, <laughs> absolutely not. No, let's not kid ourselves. Um, the beautiful thing is they're owned by similar connections, so I don't have to partake in that 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 face off for now, anyway. <laughs> so, what is the next obvious route for her to take? Well, personally, I mean, I haven't spoke to anybody, but I'll give you the way I think at the moment would be I'd probably like to give her a, a mid-season break, which is two weeks out in grass with about six to seven other fillies. Um, we'll bring her back with a view to give, picking a prep race before I'd go to the likes of the Phillies Championship at Ascot. Right, so a, 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 a nice, straightforward prep into the Phillies and Mayors Group 1 on British Champions yeah. Day. That'd be something like I'd, I'd love to do and... Like there's, I, I'd imagine she's staying training at four. But again, I haven't spoke to anybody. But I mean, she's only going to progress. Um, the team that the team of owners have loaded that type of belief. They're blessed with that. Whereas I've only the one at that level. So, but I can only imagine she'll get it better with age, and it's a fantastic Phillies program. So there'd be no reason, bar injury, to retire her too soon. Now, big moment coming up for Siskin in the Sussex Stakes. This race is brewing up into quite a nice one. Even if there's no Palace Pier or Pinatubo there, you're going to take on the older horses in Circus Maximus and Mahatha and, intriguingly, the, the English Guineas winner, Cameco, in that classic clash of the, of the two Guineas winners. You must be really excited about this. Yeah, that's what racing's all about, Nick. It's fantastic to see the two Guineas horses go to head-to-head. I mean... It's just a different year. My plan for this horse was to start him off in the, in the English 2000 Guineas and, and hopefully go on to the St. James's Palace with a view to Goodwood after that. That was the plan. Um, obviously, COVID interrupted and changed our plans and we did what we did in the Irish race. Um, the plan was then to take our time, let everybody go to the St. James's Palace and we'll be fresh going to Goodwood. Um, whether he's the best horse, I personally think he still has to improve to be the winner of the Guineas. I think he's, not that it ever matters to me, but I think he's no value if you're a betting man. But um, he has to improve to win the Goodwood race. And I would like to think that he has improved. He's been easy to train. He had his break and, and he's gone into it the freshest of horses. Ground dependent, he, he, he acts on most ground, but he's better on quick ground. Mm. And... Um, I'm looking forward to it. 
Um, the negative is is the isolation that we have in place here in Ireland, but it became very apparent to me last night that these big races matter and matter hugely. So I'd be dubious to think that uh, Colin won't partner him. I think we'll stick with the... I, I think, subject to discussing it with Colin without putting pressure on him, I'd like to think he'll stay with him and we'll go to Goodwood together, take a two-week holiday together somewhere somewhere green and sunny in Ireland and um, and concentrate on the big races for the rest of the season. The thing is, when you look back on it in 10, 20 years' time, what, would he rather have won the Sussex Stakes on Siskin or would he rather have missed that and won a whole bunch of anonymous races that no one will ever remember? You're so right, but you've got to understand Colin's a young man and he's been led by an old trainer with a young head who hasn't been here. And, and we have to do the right thing, but it's become apparent and we have a lot of good people advising us. Um, Siskin's a horse of a lifetime. That's not to say he'll win the, the Sussex Stakes by any stretch. I mean, he has to beat... He has to beat at least three horses to finish in the in the three that are rated above him. Um, the Irish handicapper is not stupid, and he still only has him at 116. So he, he's a long way to go to beat the horses that are lining up in the race. But I wouldn't swap him. And um, yeah, when we both look back in time, I think Colin and Kerry bought a new property in Trim um, a year or so ago, and they refused to name it until now. And I think it's called Siskin Lodge. Oh. So it. No pressure then. Un- no pressure. So it'd be unfair. It'd be. A, I think they need to stick together. But there's there's a very good replacement in the wings if if something else happened. Who is who? Oh, we'd have to be Frankie. I'm sure. You know, he's a he's a huge association with that outfit, and he's the best in the world. Um, so you know, there's a he's there in the wings if we needed him, and that would be fantastic too. Okay, so Colin would. The plan A is for Colin to come over with Siskin, ride him in the Sussex and go home and then take two weeks quarantine. Yeah, and that's the way it is over here, unfortunately, yeah. Nick. I mean, I know everybody else is coming and going, but these, unfortunately, the professional jockeys are high profile. And if they do it, they have to they have to take their two weeks. It's as simple as that. And they're the rules of the country, and that's what we have to do. And if that's what we have to do, that's what we will do. Well, you're, you're, you're dancing around the situation extremely deftly at the moment, if I may say so. Uh, J- let's talk about the current runners today. Who are you most hopeful of this afternoon? Well, Frenetic is a standout in the sense that she's unbeaten from two runs. Mm. Um, I love Sister Rosetta there in the first. She, she had a lovely introduction at the Curra. Um, she's probably a potential stakes horse but needs to improve so um, let's hope that she improves enough to win her maiden today I haven't looked at the field French Rain is a filly that is probably at her level which is Premier Handicap at the very best she'd need to win this for me to think I could get her stakes placed Pernetics is a smart two year old Um, I started her in Navin over the stiff what I call stiff six. It's down as five and a bit, but we went there where we could have ran again in the first race at Nace, which was a five, but we, we felt that the six would suit her better. So the trip is not a problem today. The ground is going to dry out, which will suit her as well. You know, she's not ground dependent, but she's a light frame Kodiak. La Mista is a superstar that has done nothing but improve on track and has the, glo- the, the glorious reputation of having beat even so on her first start this season. Um, and she's sold and runs in new colours of, I think, Peter Brandt today, so it's great to still have her on the team. 
Frank Arthur won his maiden, which surprised me. I, I never thought he was a, a premier handicap type, but I'll take it if it falls our way. And Angel Ali is a lovely little Angel filly that we have for a new owner who's a gentleman uh, owner breeder. She's ready to start and wins a little auction maiden through the summer. I'm, I'm very pleased that for all that you've got Judmont Farms, Coolmore and now Peter Brandt in your yard, you've still got a new gentleman owner breeder with a runner today. Peter McCarthy, gentleman, lives up the road. He's new to the yard, but absolute gentleman. And the more than Sean Jones, David Spratt, I get as much thrill training for people like that than I do for the big outfits. With the big outfits, Nick, you're lucky enough you're getting pedigrees. And the older I'm getting, the more I realise pedigrees count. Ger, thanks so much for chatting to us. Best of luck this afternoon. Well done yesterday. Thanks, guys. Speak to you soon. Ger Lyons. I just... I enjoy talking to Joe more and more every time. Yeah, bring it on. He's fantastic and he's immensely quotable in that you've got a news story out of him there about Colin coming over to ride in the Sussex Stakes and Frankie lined up to be substitute if they decide against that at the last minute. I think given that Colin's now won a couple of classics this season, you, you, as he's saying, you're appreciating more and more that it's the big days that really count. And the big horses. I mean, you know, what's he going to feel like if he doesn't ride Siskin and has to watch that on the telly and someone else winning on him in the Sussex Stakes? You know, those are the memories that you, you want to take with you when you stop eventually. And he, the horse means so much to him, and he means so much to the horse's career now, but also to the stallion career down the line. Right. This, is, this is so important. I mean, you know, two weeks is a lot to give up if you're fighting for a title, but, but I still think, I mean, your, your point was exactly what I had in my head already. You, you just can't afford, I think, to give up this opportunity. And for all people talk about an O'Brien dominance in Ireland, and of course we know it's an O'Brien dominance in Ireland, there are other faces that succeed on a on a regular basis now. It's a bit of a changing of the guard, because if it was always Dermot Weld and John Ox, it's now Ger yeah. Lyons and Jessica Harrington. But look at Ken Condon yesterday with two pattern race winners, one at 66 to one. But lovely to see Romanized winning again. He's been a smashing horse for the yard. Absolutely. I mean, I, I like Ken immensely. Um, he's, he's so easy to relate to and nothing the least bit pushy about him. You know, he's, he's never going to be the guy who's sort of phoning around owners going to send me horses. Um, and it was uh, I was at the car um, when um, Romanized got his classic a couple of years back. Uh, the word was that he might not be quite sharp enough. This was his first run for ten months yesterday, um, but uh, in the end, I think he's, he's done it pretty well. He sort of quickened really smartly um, with about a furlong, two furlongs to go, um, and put that to bed. Um, he's done great things for that stable, and, and there's another Group One in him, I'm sure. And is there a Group One in Laws, laws of Indices? Yeah, well, commentator's nightmare, but uh, one at sixty-six to one last night. I guess it's a, a joke on power, isn't it? Power was the sire. Laws uh, of Indices, I yes, guess. Very good, well, well spotted. It's not just a trap for commentators, but um, yeah, sixty-six to one. And I mean, you would have said that was a short price uh, if you'd watched his previous two starts. Um, the first time um, he was, I don't think the commentator even mentioned him um, when Lucky Vega won. I think it was the first day that Irish Racing came back. Um, and then he managed to win the next time, but it, it looked a bit of a scramble. And for him to be popping up in the railway sticks, which has got this amazing pedigree of sort of pointing up yes. to future stars all the way back to Nijinsky's time. Um, <laughs> it's most surprising. <coughs> I think even Ken was, was really pretty surprised by it. Um, so we just have to see how the race worked out. But I mean, on the face of it, there's no fluke. You know, he's, um, he's finished strongly and the first two have pulled clear. So Joe Lyons and Ken Condon amongst the heroes yesterday at the Curra.
on Irish Oaks evening. But it was John Smith's Cup day at York and the John Smith's Cup for the third time came back to Newmarket to the stable of William Haggis, whose Sinjari was a, a good winner of the race and William joins us on the phone now. William, good morning. Morning, Nick. William, thanks so much for, for taking up your time again. You've been very generous to us during the course of, uh, of this series. Uh, Sinjari yesterday at York was quite impressive, I thought, in the end. Yeah, he did it really well. We were chuffed a bit, so I think the rain helped. They went a really solid gallop, and, and he stayed on really well. I was chuffed a bit. We all were. He's a sweet horse. I, I bet you were, and if you win a race like that, you win the John Smith Cup, uh, and, and do so in, in emphatic style, then you can you realistically dream of, of bigger and better things, can't you? Well, we had some fairly uh, ambitious plans for him last year after he ran second in the London Gold Cup, and it all went a bit pear-shaped in the summer, and he had a good break and was gelded, and, and frankly, this spring he hasn't been in great form, but just in the last two weeks he started to come, and, uh, and he's just a really, really kind horse, so I think everyone here was chuffed a bit to see him win. And you've been firing on all cylinders now for, for two or three weeks, no doubt about that, but do you think quite a lot of your horses have sort of taken a bit of time to really come to, to, to where you wanted them? Well, traditionally, we're always slow starters. We're never very good in April, start picking up in May, and then June, July, August seem to be our time. So uh, we're still only sort of seven weeks into the season, um, and uh, they just hit their straps a bit. We had a few disappointments when we came back in early June, but they, they seem to be getting the hang of it now, or I do, one of us. I thought I was quite clever um, selecting my my Oberon to beat um, Owen Burroughs' horse yesterday and then looked at the starting price and he was 11 to 10 on and absolutely bolted up and not that clever because everybody seemed to be of the same mindset and this is why. This looks like a nice horse. Yeah, I hope so, Nick. We I was a little miffed with him first time, but again, <laughs> he was a bit rusty and um, he's still a long way to go yet but uh, there's some talent there he's not a very enthusiastic horse at home um, and Tom said he was very green again yesterday but, and he shouted a lot in the paddock and shouted down at the start and shouted when he came out of the stalls um, but he's, he's, he's a very well bred horse he's the first foal of a young mare of Mrs Choi's and uh, I think he's got a bright future. I hope so, anyway. I've not seen him in the flesh, but just looking at the picture there, he looks an absolute beauty. Yeah, he's a belter. He's a belter. And seeing these colours streak past the, the, the finish line at, at York must have... Well, I suppose it probably provoked mixed feelings, to be honest, William, but it was lovely for us to see and evoking memories of, of their wonderful Philly Sea of Glass. Yeah, we have just said to Mrs Choi, we've got to find another one now. And hopefully um, you're, you're, on, you're on your way there. And, and Spacewalk landed the treble for you at Haydock last night? Yeah, he, he grounded out very well. Got a good ride, a very tough, honest, genuine horse. We're going to have a look at Spacewalk now. I must confess, this is the first time I've seen this, so you can, you can talk me through the nuances of it. Well, uh, the, the, he, he, something led him up the, uh, the straight, and that fell away a little bit early, and Richard said he got there too early. But he, he fought on very well. He had 10 stone, or top weight anyway, and he, he galloped on very, very nicely. And, fairly soft conditions by then. Yeah, look, so uh, what would be the plan for him now? Uh, well, we just, uh, I think we'll keep, it a, keep him at a mile and six and not run him on fast ground, but uh, it's fantastic to win a race with him uh, for his owner breeder. 
Um, his owner, Breeder, is enjoying a fine season as well, uh, Her Majesty the Queen. has yeah. uh, got a, a really nice team assembled. Yeah, she's got a very good two-year-old with Andrew. Um, and uh, she's got some very nice horses, so hopefully lots more to come for her. Uh, I won't keep you too long, William, but just on some of the news this week, you've seen that there's a, a, a sort of smattering of people going to be allowed at Goodwood 5,000 uh, annual members. Do you think we are now on the road to full crowds? We're talking about October the 1st now. Crikey, I hope so, Nick. I mean, it's, uh, as you said earlier in the show, it's, it's so, so important to get the people back and get racing back to normal as soon as we can. I mean, it's very important to get the world and the country back as soon as we can. But they put so much fear into us when all this started that, uh, you know, everyone's fairly wary. But uh, come on, let's get back and let's get racing and let's get doing it properly. And just as, just as regards the situation post-September the 1st on, on fixtures and funding, I, mean, I made the point the other day, we're not actually quite sure what fixtures there are going to be after September the 1st, never mind how they're going to be funded. Does that worry you? Very much, very much. And the, the, the whole scenario is very concerning, but there are better brains than me who are in charge of this and uh, hopefully they'll get on, get something sorted and we can get, as I say, back to some sort of normality at some stage. You did make the point to me about two and a half months ago on this programme when we were all in the middle of lockdown that everyone needs to keep working together and, and getting on better together. Would you reiterate that urge now or do you think the time has come for people to start rattling cages? Well, uh, there are a few people who are very anxious uh, and I'm one of them. And, uh, you know, there's, it's clear that uh, uh, we, we feel as as practitioners that we generate some sort of income for someone and uh, and we don't see all of it and uh, bookmakers in the past and race courses at present don't appear to be letting us know uh, actually how much they do make and how much they put back now everyone's got to make a profit and that is absolutely crucial uh, uh, race courses have got to make money we're not saying that they shouldn't do that but uh, we're, we're getting in desperate straits and owners are getting frustrated and disappointed and we cannot be a strong racing nation if we race for such a pittance. So we've got to, we've got to get our act together, all of us. Do you feel that there's not equal pain being shared? I don't think I said that, Nick, but uh, um, I don't know. Uh, I don't think this is the uh, forum to to uh, discuss my real concerns but uh, um, yeah we'll see how it evolves well I always appreciate your thoughts William um, <laughs> thank you very much and we will speak again soon okay Nick pleasure William Haggis who I think he did voice his real concerns to be honest and I think yes. this is absolutely the forum to voice them <laughs> why not indeed um, he just got a little bit guarded in the second half of that interview but I, I think in the first half, he made it reasonably clear um, what his feelings are. I, why would you not be worried um, with the news like we've had about Ed Vaughan coming out this week? Yeah. Um, it's, it's a difficult time for everybody, um, but uh, it, it's time for cards on the table. I think that's the, the word that's coming from Horseman. We will come to our talking points in just a few moments. So I just want to quick look back on one or two of the highlights from Newbury yesterday. I think Method is a horse that a lot of people will warm to because... There was something so clinical and straightforward about this victory in the Rose Bowl, which can throw up smart horses. Yes, it can. I mean, I've, I looked again at the list last night and wasn't, <coughs> wasn't completely impressed, but, I mean, you, you'd have to be impressed by watching him. 
Um, and, you know, I'm not the sort of most accomplished time guru in the world, but I, I think it was only three-tenths of a second slower than the hack with later on yeah. the card. So, um, okay, so he's carrying half a stone less than those established sprinters, but, you know, still really good. And um, it, talking more from a visual boy's perspective, you know, it, he's done everything he has to do there. He's sort of quick and past a useful horse that was in that Windsor Castle, I think, the runner-up, wasn't he? Um, yeah. That, that's working out so well. Um, and and this is no surprise to Martin Mead, or indeed anyone who watched the, the horse the previous time. Um, it, it's pretty clear this is a useful horse. And so the question is, is he just a useful horse for this year with races like the Morney and the Middle Park yeah. on the horizon, or is he going to carry on and be a Guinea's horse next year? I think they're going to have a look at the Richmond and the Jim Crack, maybe as well, okay. en route. But well, maybe yeah. if they go Richmond, then they go to the... Pre I don't know. There's, there's so many races, but it would be nice to know exactly when they're going to be run, obviously. So, certainly Asheen Murphy, who rode the horse, was of the view that he didn't really want to go much further. And he was he was a sprinter, though Martin Mead did suggest that it would be nice if he could uh, make up into a guineas horse. A Cabaletta, I think, is quite a nice filly. She's very well bred. She's my master craftsman out of Allegretta, so she's bred to be pretty smart. I thought this was about the ride of the afternoon from David Egan because she's green and she was rolling around yes. and he got her straightened up and he didn't deliver her till late. Well, that's a very fair point and, of course, disappointing last time, and you're mindful of that. Um, quite a physically impressive looking beast I thought um, and travelled really powerfully um, and she's gone past a horse of William Haggis's that now so this one in second uh, was rated 80 I think and, <laughs> she'd have been and, a good thing off 80 wouldn't she until yesterday I mean uh, uh, Richard Hannon had a great line yesterday he said with fillies you've you, you got to move quick um, and I guess that's what they're thinking was with, with Lady G you know never mind handicaps we'll, we'll run her in a good race and they really backed her as well um, and it's nearly come off I think it's taken a good one to beat her yeah Holly Doyle who rode the runner-up was cross when she came in I said to her go and have a look at the replay because I think you've been beaten by a good one and I right. think the winners won quite easily as well yeah uh, I would definitely be interested in her next time wherever she shows up talking of Holly Doyle you couldn't keep her out of the action at Newbury yes if she wasn't winning she was there or thereabouts or you know something yeah. was happening uh, she she had a double um, and she was second a couple of times I think it was um, she was second on both of the rights she had for William Haggis you know personally as a, a fan of hers I was just you know gratified to see a big name trainer like him throwing rides her way um, and but it's, it's been that way for you know for weeks now she's just she's constantly yeah, turning up in the winners they enclosure. don't think twice about it now do they no no uh, and you know big prices as well and then she's she's getting employment from lots of different places um, and you know people really respecting the strength that she shows in the professionalism yeah. um, so good honor I think she's fifth in the jockey's table just now she's doing great Owen Burrows is another person who's had a very good season um, yeah. His horses are running probably more consistently well now than they have done for a, for a while. And this is a, a sprinter that he's had to take his time with. Uh, and the winner of the, the Hackwood Stakes yesterday, Tab Deed. And he, he looks quite promising on this evidence. Uh, he's done it in the, the style of a really classy horse. I think he's, he's five. Uh, it might only be his third run in the space of 18 months or something like that. So th there have obviously been issues. Um, and... Uh, you know, I think that kind of ground, you know, sort of not too quick, but, you know, no juice in it. Um, I think that really helps him. Uh, Owen was sort of toying with the idea of going to Hayd up for the Sprint Cup. Um, and you'd certainly think that on this showing, you know, beating the Tin Man in a, a Group 3 race that quite often features good horses. Yeah. Is, is a good pointer to a race like that. Um, but you wouldn't want the, the heavens to open and for Haydock to be proper soft like it can be for that fixture. And, and look, Haydock's already, you know, softish yesterday when everywhere else is sort of 
quick side of good. Um, it's got its own little microclimate, evidently. Um, but yeah, he, he can step up to as long as they can keep him in one piece, which is the, the number one job with a horse like that. He can definitely hold his own in a group one race somewhere. Yeah, that microclimate is wet. <laughs> right. Well, it's the West Coast experience, isn't it? A West Coast experience, <laughs> yeah. Uh, excellent stuff. Luck on Sunday, proudly sponsored by Albasti Equiwell Dubai. And we touched there on the news this week that Ed Vaughan was going to hand in his trainer's licence in the UK. Uh, we'll be talking to Ed in just a few moments' time. But Chris, it is... It's an unusual one, this, because we, we, are, we are used to seeing trainers stop and quit and slight mm. financial pressure. It's not uncommon. But because of, the, because of the situation we're in and because of this febrile atmosphere that's built up between the horsemen and the racecourses recently, this had particular resonance, it seems. Yeah, particularly because, I mean, it was really a boat from the blue. He's just won the best race of his career with uh, Dame Mayo, you're supposed to call her, I think. Yeah, in so the Princess of Wales. Yeah. Um, uh, so yeah, Group 2 race, I mean, not as valuable this year as normal. Um, but there's a horse that's now looking for Group 1. I mean, uh, the, somewhere in Europe there must be a, a Group 1, I'm sure, that, that, that she can win. Mm. Um, and yet, uh, and, and so I was there at Newmarket that day. You would never have guessed in a million years that he was a guy who was seriously thinking about wrapping up his business. Um, training for a guy like Anthony Oppenheimer, and so you'd think there are going to be other good horses coming through the pipes. Um, and he's got no dependence, as Rafe Beckett pointed out in his blog this week. So um, the fact that he finds himself in this situation um, is really alarming and suggests that there must be many more other trainers and other racing businesses that are, that are also right up against it like this. I guess, you know, he, he said, didn't he, in his announcement that he, he hopes to, he expects to continue in the sport. Perhaps he has something already in mind. Perhaps we might find out in a, in a few moments' time because he's on the line now. Morning, Ed. Good morning, Nick. Good morning. Um, first of all, how are you? How have you felt the last few days since you, since you made the announcement? It had obviously been in your mind for a while, but the reaction of, of people towards you, how, how have you responded to that? Um, it's been mind-blowing. I didn't even think the people who knew me had, had made contact, and, um, and it was quite extraordinary. You know, somebody just pointed out that, uh, that the story... Of my the press release, the way that's gone, it's pretty much gone viral. It's like you know, 185,000 people have, have read it, which I, I just find mind blowing. And uh, has it made you think differently at all? I mean, I'm not saying have you changed your mind, but has it, has it made you think differently about about your life, your career, your future? No, absolutely not. No, no. So just for those who haven't read the press release, and obviously there are a lot who have. Just run us through how you've been thinking since sort of last year through the COVID lockdown and up to now. Um, you know, it, it, it has been on my mind for, for a couple of years. As you know, it's, you know, it's very difficult to make ends meet in this sport. Um, you know, I've a great landlords down the line, but by the time you pay your rent, your rates, there isn't a whole lot left in it for you. Um, and I just can't see it improving. And may maybe during COVID, maybe you think more, more, you think more about these things. But I just don't see a future in it, Nick. Is it specific, Ed, to what kind of business you want to run? I, you've got a sort of, say, m small to medium-sized yard, so you'd have anywhere between, say, twenty and fifty horses. 
if you're operating at, with very few horses, say five or six horses, or you're operating with 100 plus horses, can that work? If you're in the middle like you are, does that make it harder? Um, I think so. It's the op- uh, what I find anyway is the operating costs. You've got to have a yard big enough to, to contain the horses, but often horses go to sales and you end up with 10 or 12 boxes. Now you're paying for those hotel rooms. And uh, you're paying for those hotel rooms, whether they're empty or not. You're paying rent, grades, everything on them. And um, and I just find it. I just find that it's just. I think it's getting tougher. So, or maybe I'm maybe I'm getting older and more cynical. I don't know. So obviously, prize money is a factor. But more fundamentally than that, is it the fact that if you don't own your premises, then you're on the back foot to start with? A hundred percent. I was going through the other day, Nick, and and, uh, and I worked out somewhere. I'm sure I must have paid probably must be the best part of a million million pounds on rent that's gone. And and, and owning and getting a foot on the property ladder is one thing, and people know how difficult that is. Getting a foot on the on the owning a, a stable ladder is a completely different ball game altogether. You need a vast amount of money to, to, to get in there, don't you? Yeah, you need a lot of money, and it's something to decide. As, as David Ellsworth would say, he said, I started with nothing and I managed to hang on to most of it. <laughs> um, uh, uh, do you think then, with that in mind, because we don't want to lose people of your experience, your ability, your talent, your horsemanship from the game, that there is something the sport can do to own stables where, you know, rent can be in part subsidised so people can train, you know, efficiently and effectively? I'm sure, you know, if you look at models abroad, you look at Hong Kong, you look at, we'll say, America and places like that, you can get some stalls. They don't charge you anything. You've got to run at the track. All you need are your, your feed, your feed bucket, your horse, your hot walker if you've got three or four, and you can cut your claws accordingly. But in saying that, every other jurisdiction, as you know, our, our prize money is is deplorable. It really is. And that is the only chance you have of, it's the icing on the cake, or should be the icing on the cake. But, I mean, we are racing for, for you know, it, it's embarrassing. It really is. We can't even, even outside foreign owners i've had some australian owners and they love racing in england as anybody does but at the end of it they're with, even with winning races and they're just so out of pocket you'd, you'd want to be running at, at a low to medium level you know they want to be running winning one race a month um it, it brings me back actually to a horse named mr harmouche that i trained goodness it must be eight or nine years ago and i remember he won he won five races in a year and placed and he came nowhere near covering his costs. Yeah, which is, is the stark reality. And it suggests to me, everything you've said suggests to me that your decision is notwithstanding COVID, that it, it's, not, it's not really a direct consequence of the lockdown. No, it, it, it's not. Maybe, perhaps it has, but I'm announcing it earlier, maybe, because I've made up my mind, definitely made up my mind this time. But, uh, but this has been on my mind, Nick, for, for, for a long time. And, you know, you kind of get to the stage in life where you think, look, there's got to be, you're not doing it now, you're doing it for later. You don't, you know, we didn't come into this job and we didn't, you know, it's an itch you've got to scratch training horse. I see those young lads starting up now and it's exactly the same. 
and uh, it's it's niche. You got to scratch, and you've done it. But you don't come into it to become a rich man. You maybe hope you'll earn a nice living, but you know I don't want to retire an impoverished one either. Which I can see this is this is where it will go. So what are you going to do, and where are you going to go? Um, I don't know. I've made some money out of other projects, so it has pit training horses, as you know. Um, I'm able to get out. It's, I've never owed anybody a penny, Nick. I, I've been very fortunate. I've never owed anybody any penny, any supplier, transporters, nothing. Um, we've got a couple of lads that have been with me that will be entitled to redundancy, which will be paid. And um, and after that, I don't I don't know. You know, I can I can luckily I can fold them there. I can prep a yearling. You know, I understand all of that side of it um, because I've grown up doing it. Only thing I can't do is ride a horse because my bottle is just so bad. <laughs> but uh, but other than that, you know, it, it, I'm not I'm not ruling out training either. But I I'm I'm ruling out ruling it out 100% doing it here in, in the UK. So it's quite possible you'll go and train in another country. It is it is quite possible. It is quite possible if the right opportunity came up. Yes, it is. It is. It is possible. I mean, in in your ideal world, in your uh, utopian scenario what could where could you see ed vaughan training winners where in the world australia hong kong america japan france ireland well well obviously um hong kong would 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 be the place you would you'd love to see yourself because if it's to you know to do well to earn money and be rewarded that's that's that is the uh that's the gold medal isn't it but uh but i wouldn't rule anywhere out to be honest nick well, any, I, any, when I say anywhere, anywhere where the, where the business model works. Yeah, I, I know, I know where you, I know where you're coming from, Ed. Um, let's talk a little about Dan Mayo because Chris Cook was just saying she must have a Group One with her name on it uh, sometime this season, and you would dearly love to get that. Where do you think it might be? I don't know, Nick. Um, I spoke to Mr. Oppenheimer about it, and we will. She, she'll be entered in every Group One from here on over over a mile and a half. Um, so I don't know. Mr. Oppenheimer obviously has Dark Thatcher. It's another extremely talented filly. And there, she's a mile and a half filly also. Um, so probably won't, won't meet up. Um, but um, look, we, she's the type of filly, Dame Malio, you've got to give her time after runs. As you saw, she races exuberantly. And she gives herself hard races. She's very honest and tough. And uh, so she'd need a month anyway. So um, I don't know. I don't know really where we're where we're going to go. But she will be entered up in, in every group one from here on. Yeah. And you're going to hold on to to the end of this flat turf season, yeah? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's uh, probably after the horses and training sale. I'd imagine would be which would be the end of October. I think that's probably where you'll see unless Dan Mario needs to hang on longer. And, and uh, there are other races later on. You know, the Canada looked like it could be a good option for also the E. Taylor, but we're really it, it's it's uncertainty with the with the whole logistics and and this COVID nineteen as to whether we'll be able to travel or not. And then and then potentially, I suppose you've got you've got a Breeders' Cup possibly to consider with her. But that would yeah, be possibly. now and that would be mid November this year. Yeah, poss- possibly, possibly. So we we might have to we we might have to get you to hang on to that license just a couple of weeks longer, Ed. 
You're not that desperate for me to hang on to it, are you? <laughs> we, we, we've, enjo- we've enjoyed you, that's for sure. And um, wherever the game takes you, I hope, it, I hope it's incredibly fruitful and gives you exactly what you want. Thanks so much for chatting to me. That's very kind. Thanks, Nick. Ed Vaughan. I, just one or two things just struck me there. Uh, you know sometimes how you talk to someone and, and things strike you as you're going along. And People talk about getting new people into the sport getting a, a more diverse group of people into the sport, getting people from more social backgrounds into the sport. I think training is the hardest area for people who basically don't have any money to get into because how do you do it without... I mean, as Ed's just shown, if he owned his own yard, he'd be all right. But the point is, you can't own a yard unless you've got significant means. Well, and uh, John Gosden has talked about how America was, for him, the land of opportunity mm. in that respect. Exactly. Well, he know, didn't even own his own yard until fairly recently, and he's no. a guy in his north 60s. In fact, I mean, it wasn't recently, but the last time I had that conversation with him, he was still paying off the mortgage on it. Exactly. Um, you know, a man in his situation, you know, how many arcs do you have to win? Um, yeah, so, uh, well, as you suggested, it's something the sport really ought to be looking at, creating opportunities, whether it's, you know, barns at the races, uh, at race courses somewhere where you can train horses, you know, for a sm- modest amount of rent and get started that way. Um, because uh, at the moment, listening to Ed there, it's a wonder that anybody's prepared to, to give it a whirl. Um, and he's talking about, you know, specifically this country. You know, he would consider training elsewhere. So that's talent leak that you're talking about. Um, very worrying. You know, you can't just let that go by and not take action. Talent leak of horses, talent leak of people as well. And it's not, it's not really an issue because of the better prize money situation that we hear an awful lot about in Ireland. And, and one person who continues to go from, from strength to strength with the, the jumpers, but now the flat horses more specifically. And I read out a list of these three-year-old... These are just, just the three-year-old fillies at the beginning of the programme, and I'm probably missing some as well. Alpine Star, Mill Isle, One Voice, Valeria Messalina, Cayenne Pepper and Albinia. Jessica Harrington, good, good morning. Good morning, and I, and I probably have missed out a few as well, haven't I? <laughs> no, 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 I think I'm in there. Um, how, how pleased were you or otherwise with, with Kay and Pepper last night? I listen, you know, it, it, it's actually disappointed finishing second in a classic one. Um, but, you know, she ran her heart out. She probably got to the front a little bit too soon. Um, and, you know, she's had a very interrupted um, preparation because she wasn't right all the way through the spring. And um, and she has come on and she'll come on again for that race. Definitely. And uh, we were speaking to Jo Lyons earlier in the programme. You may you may have heard. And, and it, it's not as though the victory of, of his filly was completely unexpected. Uh, you probably come up against a, a half-decent one there or more than a half-decent one. Uh, yeah, no, no. She beat uh, a filly of mine in, in the in the Oaks trial at Net. Um, she beat uh, Silence Please in that, and I was giving her weight actually in the race because I had already won a, uh, a listed race or a group a listed race. No, I had the penalty, um, which was a good performance for her. Um, so obviously, his filly has come forward again, and oh, she's a good filly. Um, you know, and bad fillies don't win Group One. And uh, I asked Joe whether he fancied taking on love, and he said absolutely not. And I suspect that's the same for, for an awful lot of people. But I, you're, you're going to have to with, with, with one of your fillies somewhere down the track. Yeah, we will. We're just going to see where we're going with, with all of them. Um, it's, it's, all, it's just with, with the way that not being able to get the you know, jockey to ride them when you go abroad yeah. is, 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 is annoying. But we've had to get over it. And um, it looks like England's going to be off 
or off the scene for a while, judging from what our government have said this week, uh, last week. Um, but we'll know uh, tomorrow whether we can, if, if uh, Germany or France are on the green list to fight um, which would be a big help. But we'll see what happens. Um, but they go, there's, there's choices for them to go, and um, we'll see. We just have to take it by, by, by as it comes, really. And I mean, and, and you you worked it well at Royal Ascot, obviously with Alpine Star, and got Frankie to ride her to to, to, a, to glorious consequences. Uh, what would be what would be the, the mission for her? I mean, is she on a little bit of a break now? Should we just again um, Alpine Star? She went there and then she went to France. France, yeah. She had an aeroplane to France, so she had to go by road, which probably might have made the difference of being beaten, you know, a, a short head or a head, whatever it was. Um, if she came back, she's back in really good form. Uh, we're looking there probably, I'm not really sure where we're going, um, maybe to, to Deauville for one of the races there, I would say. Um, uh, we may come back to a mile um, in Deauville. Would you, would, would you want Jacques, Jacques Lamarois, something like that? Yeah, something like that. Either the owners have got a terrific record in that race as well, and you'd be taking on some some terrific colts. I mean, at this stage, with all those horses I mentioned, is she the is she the clubhouse leader? Is she the is she the head of the pack? Well, it's very hard. I'm the head of the pack. Albina, if she comes back and gets a bit of ease in the ground, you know, she's a very good filly. Um, Mill Isle showed the other day she, she's back to good. You know, she's back in the in the zone, as it were, uh, finishing second to a colt. Um, Valeria Massalina, she most likely will go to Goodwood for the seven furlong fillies race there. The oak tree. Uh, uh, yeah, the oak tree. Um, and then we've got, well, Kay and Pepper probably might come back to a mile before I see where, where, where she goes next. And then I've got one voice today in the Killboy. Um, she's stepping up from a group three to a group two. And we'll just, you know, that'll go well. And then you know, we've got plenty of plenty of time for all the autumn races, uh, for all of them. Um, so, you know, look, I'm, 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 and I think these looks like she's going to go to the German Oaks. That's the plan. Well, so, so, so much, so much to look forward to, Jesse. The line's not great, so I won't keep you too much longer. But I, I, I did just want to ask you how you feel about the whole situation in Ireland at the moment. You've already articulated the frustrations about not maybe being able to get here with jockeys and so forth. But in terms of keeping the show on the road and the Irish government keeping the, the racing show on the road, how, what's the mood like at the moment? Listen, let's keep the racing going. I know we've had the setback of the fact that they won't allow owners to come. But, but, you know, as long as we can keep racing, up, um, I have no problem at all. Um, you know, if, if the owners suffer from not going, um, it's not, you know, racing without public and behind closed doors is a very quiet affair. Uh, you know, you just see the, uh, the trainers that you see every day, you know, each time you go, but there's nothing else to do. Like between races la- last night, the car, I went and sat in my car and listened to a book. Uh, <laughs> It's not exactly a very social place. You can't get a cup of coffee. You can just about get a, gla- a, a, a bottle of water, and that's about it. And you definitely can't get a glass of wine either. No, no, no wine, no wine. <laughs> uh, great thing is you drive home and have one at home. <laughs> and then feel happy with the day's work. Uh, I hope Barry Geraghty's had one or two this week. He deserves to celebrate a brilliant career. And although we've spoken about it for, for nearly seven days now, I've not been able to speak to you about it. And we're just seeing some footage of Moscow 
flyer beating world chief in the in the champion chase in in 2005 you there, there are not enough times you can watch this race oh no this i i've just got so many memories with 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 barry and you know uh, people say oh moscow flyer made barry but i think barry made uh, helped make me as well you know he was a very very good jockey um and he's a great friend and he's, he's a really and he's a great person to have a night out with jesus <laughs> that, that, that's definitely um, <laughs> on the cards now. I'm going to have to have him and Paula down here. Uh, it, it seems it, it's it's very unusual, actually, uh, you, you, in an era of of brilliant jump jockeys, no doubt. But it, it's quite unusual to uh, hear of a jockey who's had such great personal friendships and relationships with the trainers that he's ridden for you and and Nicky Henderson, and be able to sustain that stream of Grade One winners for so long. I think the combination of the two things is quite unusual. Yeah, you know, he just, you know, he was a very, you know, everyone said, oh, he was a very good big race jockey. But, you know, he also, he was one, he, Barry loved winning races. And whether it was a 0-95 handicap hurdle or a grade one at Cheltenham or entry, he tried just as hard in, in everything because he loved winning races. And what I think is really nice is that he, he managed to um, retire from racing on his terms. He, he decided when he wasn't through injury or getting too old or whatever, you know, he just, he, he made the decision and said, right, that's it, I've finished. And he went out in the high. He, his last uh, race, race he rode in was a winner at Cheltenham. Yeah. I, I at the time, he, he actually didn't really think that would be, that would be the way it was. And an amazing Cheltenham all told. Jesse, thanks so much for chatting to us. Not at all. Thank you. Uh, Jessica Harrington and uh, great memories of her, of her professional relationship there with, with, Barry Garrity and very generously conceding that he he helped make her career. Yeah, I mean that that's a real um, but true. I guess. Kicked hand over. Um, I I think she was going to succeed in, in almost any circumstances, but um, but he's obviously helped. I mean, I I flaming love Barry Garrity as a jockey. I was so sad when he decided the other day that, to call time. Um, for whatever reason, he's been associated with a lot of the horses that you know I really warmed to, and and I always found personally when when he was on one that you fancied, it filled you with confidence even more, I think, than, than really any other jump jockey I can remember. Um, he's a major loss. Shall we talk to Adam Waterworth at Goodwood? I think that would be a good idea because the important news has broken the last 24, 48 hours that Goodwood will be one of the venues to trial uh, a relatively small, but in the context of what we've got at the moment, relatively large amount of spectators, up to 5,000 on the Saturday of the Qatar Glorious Goodwood Festival. Uh, Adam's on the line now. Adam, morning. Morning, Nick. So it's good news, but it presents you with a challenge or two, doesn't it? Yeah, I mean, obviously it's good news. It's sort of, I mean, I must admit, at moments I've sort of, you know, careful what you wish for has sort of, uh, has sort of been top of mind. But, um, no, of course it's good news. Uh, we were, we've been in discussions and, you know, I haven't hidden the fact that I was keen and felt uh, very easily, actually, race courses would be a good place to be able to, to trial to, to run these pilots, and that we would be be able to uh, get some sort of crowd on safely, um, safely being the the most important thing. But but yes, I mean the pilot will be it will be complicated, um, and for our race goes, it will be a different experience to to what you'd normally expect on the on the Saturday of Glorious. But it's a it's a lot better than the than the alternative. Will those race? What will the experience be be like in, in a sort of positive sense? What will race race goers be allowed to do? Uh, so we will run it in effect as sort of eight smaller enclosures. So, so 
so we will operate in effect eight enclosures of sort of between 400 and 600 people and of course once you're in your enclosure we're going to have to ask that you stay within that area because obviously what we can't have is people congregating at say the winning post um, we can't give access to the parade ring for all of our race goers just a, a, a very limited number so there's only one of those enclosures will get access to the parade ring for example and of course you've got to keep the green zone um, completely separate. So, so the area where the professionals, where the trainers and the jockeys, the officials uh, will be, remains as it would for behind closed doors. That's, a, that's very much a protected area. So race goers will be on site. Uh, you know, there'll be more big screens than we would normally have so that they can get the atmosphere from the, uh, from the parade ring. Can you, can you cater for be an atmosphere. Can you cater for them, Adam? Yes, can, we can. Yeah. So one of the things... Uh, DCMS were very keen actually is both hospitality for us to run as normal a hospitality offering as we can under the new guidelines which which we'll be doing and also bars will be open and betting will be uh, betting will be available in each of the enclosures so will there, have we have we resolved whether an on-course bookmaker or two will be allowed on site we are still working on the detail i'm confident we're going to get some on-course bookmakers on site but the exact number yet we're still working on because that complicated again it, it won't be the normal betting ring because obviously uh, the normal betting doesn't really exist that that's part of an enclosure where there'll only actually be a couple of hundred people allowed into to that area of the race course so it will be it will be a couple of on-course bookmakers in sort of each of those areas is what we're trying to get to and, and just looking further forward obviously it's fantastic that you're you're doing this and, and I'm guessing it's going to it's going to be quite costly for you to do it as well though correct me if I'm wrong just looking beyond the, the COVID situation and, and looking to when we've got something more approximating a normal crowd, from a racecourse point of view, do you see any mileage in having fewer fixtures and more races on those race days, so having nine, ten race cards? Uh, I don't know if that's... I mean, for, for us, some of, those, some of our fixtures, that could work, um, but whether it, whether that's something that we'd want to do for our sort of major festival, nothing, no other reason than five days, nine races a day. Certainly, you know, our, our glorious fixture, we couldn't even consider that yeah. just from a wear and tear of the of the race. Um, that model would work, I mean, obviously, works better on an all weather surface um, because the wear and tear you're going to put on your uh, on the turf for nine fixtures a day would be, you know, nine races a day, sorry, would be considerable. So whether it suits all venues, I'm not sure. And what about prize money contributions beyond September the 1st? I mean, are you confident that, say, from, just from Goodwood's point of view, I'm not asking you to speak for every racecourse in the country, but from Goodwood's point of view, will you be able to start making executive contributions again? Well, we will anyway. So we're, we're, we'll be making executive contributions into uh, Glorious. Mm. Uh, but for your, for, your, for your more standard race days, I mean? Yeah, and, and in August, we're planning to make some for the, for the three days in August. I, I don't even know what features I've got in September yet. Yeah. So, I can't, so I can't say whether we'll, we'll make... Actually, I've got no idea which races we'll be running. But, but what I do know is the fixtures that we do have, so our Glorious fixture and the fixture in August, we will be planning to put some executive in, yes. Adam, thanks so much for talking to us and best of luck um, next week and next Saturday and very much looking forward to seeing you. Thanks, Nick. And you. Adam Waterworth, the Managing Director of, of Goodwood Racecourse. I mean, the fact that he, he's running one of the biggest racecourses in the country and, and absolutely all power to them for doing what they're doing because they're taking a 
you know, they're, they're taking a, a big step here. But the fact that he doesn't know what, what fixtures he's got in September. It's amazing. We've got to get this sorted out. Businesses of that size, you know, you, you, the idea that you can't plan two months in advance. You know, they must be tearing their hair out. Um, and, and as you pointed out, you know, there's got to be a big cost associated with a day when you're, you're letting in people um, and you've got to provide things for them, but there's only 5,000 of them. Um, you know, all venues like that, um, they, they, their margins are so tight that if they can't have a full capacity, mm. it gets expensive. But racing is, is in a position of strength relative to so many other sports, and that's exactly how we started this programme. Yeah. And really exactly how we should end it, because if we're to continue and to continue safely, then we need an adequate uh, supply of effective PPE, which has been provided to the BHA and some of their key staff, key personnel who have, who have kept race, race courses going uh, by a company called CHB Medical. And uh, their managing director, uh, Felicity Griffith, is uh, on the line now. Felicity, good morning. Good morning, Nick. How are you? I'm very well. Thanks so much for joining us. Just, just tell us how you've worked with the, with the BHA to keep us all safe the last seven weeks or so. Yeah, sure. So um, basically, sort of, um, our background is import and export and working with keyline um, frontline businesses. Um, we've been bringing PPE into the country um, across the nation. Um, we worked closely with the BHA, Dr. Jerry um, Hill, the CMO there. Um, and it was really important to the BHA and Dr. Jerry that we could get racing back safely without taking vital PPE away from the front line. So, I mean, we've been working 20-hour days, seven days a week um, in the lead-up to getting getting racing back safely with the BHA. Um, we've done back-to-racing back packs, um, and that's been snowballed from race courses to trainers' yards to owners, um, and now owners' businesses as well, actually. So... Um, we've been, it's been a great learning process um, and, and an honour, basically, to be, to be working with such a great sport. Uh, and one of the key questions at the beginning of this crisis was, where are we going to get the PPE from? Because we haven't got a ready supply in, in this country. And how are we going to be able to get it into the country in time to supply enough people to keep us all safe? How have you been able to do that? Because you've only added this as an adjunct to your business since, since the crisis began. Absolutely. So, uh, well, I mean, I've got multiple wrinkles now um, in, <laughs> in relation to getting PPE into the country. But basically, we have uh, warehousing in Shenzhen, China and Hong Kong. So uh, with our import and export, especially on the high end medical equipment side, we did already have contacts out in Asia. Um, and we work with some of the most amazing logistics companies um, internationally. So for us, it was it definitely was tough, but it was really important to be making sure that we were getting this PPE into the country. There was a huge shortage. I mean, much bigger than anyone kind of realises. And um, and it needed to be applied quickly to the front line and, and other surrounding businesses and industries. Um, Felicity... I know you're a, you're a family business, and I know you're you're very you're very customer focused. It, it won't be lost on you now that we want to welcome racegoers back to the sport. We want to welcome families back to the sport, and we want to keep them as, as safe as we possibly can. How mm. can you help with our effort to do that? 
So we're working really closely with the race courses as we speak. Um, it's important that we follow the government guidelines, um, yet at the same time, make sure that uh, we're covering all angles uh, that we can, you know, bend and weave and react at, at a short notice. I'm sure, I'm sure um, Adam from Goodwood will agree the government guidelines change on a daily basis, if not hourly basis sometimes. So it's really important to us that we can get those spectators back um, safely with the correct PPE in place um, so that they can enjoy the sport and, and get the sport properly back up and running again. Now, this is very timely, Felicity, because you are sponsoring an air race course tomorrow. I am, yes. It's a bit of a mouthful. CHB Medical Keeping Scotland Safe Race Day. Um, but really for us, we, we expanded into Scotland a couple of years ago. And um, we've, we've always supported the racing industry, whether it's the McCoy Awards or uh, corporate hospitality, Christmas parties, etc. So it was really important for us to ensure that we were we were supporting uh, Scotland's racing as well. So we're working closely with the independent racetrack in air. And um, yeah, I'm really excited. It's a shame that we're not able to attend. But it, yeah, it's going to be great fun. And the more the industry reinvests in us, the more we reinvest in the industry. And you, you're running a, a social media competition alongside our friends at Racing Welfare. We are, yes, um, for the amazing stable staff uh, that basically make make the industry possible. Um, it's it's a social media campaign based on wearing masks and ensuring that we're getting the word out there, not just throughout the racing industry, but to other sporting industries that PPE and sort of you know masks and respecting your peers and and the people around you is incredibly important. And what better way than to get the, the stable staff involved in racing welfare and give the money back. Felicity, thanks so much for joining us. Best of luck and fantastic work you're doing. You're welcome. Thanks, Nick. Felicity Griffiths, the Managing Director of uh, CHB uh, International, who are providing PPE to all the race courses. And their role is going to get more and more important because we need to be wearing these, Chris. I've got mine here. Um... Tenor from the Injured Jockeys Fund. I think they sold out. I'll show you mine if you show me yours. Your Injured Jockeys Fund is very good, actually. uh, They'll be ordering more shortly, so check the website. Do you like my Paisley Paisley edition? It's it's as stylish as I would have expected from you. And, um, yeah, I think it's in a sort of appropriate way, uh, in essence, to sort of mark the end of this series, end of this season, because it really has been about how racing has been able to get through the COVID crisis and get itself back on on its feet somehow. How you cope with a crisis shows the depth of your character, I suppose. But um, it'd be really nice if we could forget about these things before the start of the next series. I suppose that's wishful thinking. Yeah, fingers crossed that when we rejoin you back in the autumn, um, we will be less reliant. But for the moment, stay safe, wear these, keep the sport going, keep it alive. Thanks to everyone who's been responsible for this show since last September. We'll see you again in the autumn. Bye-bye. Luck on Sunday, proudly sponsored by Albasti at Cruel, Dubai. You've been listening to the Luck on Sunday podcast, the weekly digest of the best bits from Luck on Sunday, the programme that brings you the best guests and insights from around the racing world.